You're listening to Black People Go to Therapy 2, a podcast about people of color and their experiences in therapy. Don't forget to subscribe and spread the word that we're now available on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. Now let's begin our session. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Black People Go to Therapy 2. I am your host, BJ Rudd, LPC. And today's guest, I'm very, very, very honored and excited for y'all to meet. I'll go ahead and let him introduce himself. Hi, everyone. My name is Danielle. Um, I'm just a friend of Beaches on Twitter, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and tell us a little bit about, um, just to provide a little bit of context, uh, what are your identities, age, gender, sexual orientation, all of those good things? I am a cis male, um, homosexual, uh, pronouns he, him, she, her, they, them. Um, I actually, um, any pronouns work. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay, and tell me a little bit. Uh, oh yeah, can you let me know your ethnicity too? Sure, I am Afro-Latino from the Dominican Republic. Perfect, I was just going to ask where'd you grow up? Um, and tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up in the DR as this is something I have absolutely no idea about. Um, it, at the time, it seemed pretty chill, but now that I have knowledge of uh, uh, my identity and what it meant to grow up in that country and in that culture, I don't know how chill it actually was. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, a lot of... Um, machismo, a lot of uh, really religious influence on the culture. Um, I grew up with my mother, my father, my sister, my grandma from my dad's side. And so uh, when my parents were at work, my grandma basically raised us. And on top of that, DR has this really archaic sort of 1940s, 1950s America, system where like a lot of Haitian women um, are doing housework around the house for pennies basically so whatever the lady was they were always changing she also was always in the home and um, played her part in raising my sister and I as well while my parents were at work Mm -hmm. so that's the gist of it basically Yeah, and when did you, uh, just curiously, when did you move to the U.S.? And was that, like, straight to, uh, you're in New York, correct? Yeah, I'm in New York, I'm in Harlem. Uh, No, we moved to Miami, actually. I was 10, it was in 2001. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a huge culture shock, obviously. I did not speak English at Mm -hmm. the time. Spanish is my first language. Um, From Miami... We lived in Miami for four years and my parents had a business that wasn't taking off. 
So we moved to Central Florida to a very, very small town with very little people of color. Um, And from there, I went to school in Central Florida and Tampa and moved to New York seven years ago. Okay. Oh, so I was thinking you grew up in New York. And so that's, that's part of you. I didn't even know. Um, Like considering like your family in the DR um, and even like when you lived in Florida and then later on New York, what were some of like, did you ever hear therapy or like mental health being discussed? I guess let's start with growing up. Uh, Yeah. There. So my mom is one out of seven Mm -hmm. and her mother has, I believe, five brothers and sisters, one of whom had uh, really untreated um, a bunch of diagnoses, actually. But the one I remember the most clearly, he d- he um, would have some schizophrenic episodes every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my first, as a child, I remember. And of course, I'm like telling you this. Uh, in the politically correct way. Mm-hmm. Back then, my family would just be like, oh, he's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, this is him being crazy again. Um, and we, he lived close to my house uh, in DR. Mm-hmm. So we were, con- we were often there for, for family reunions or, or whatever. Uh, and when he would have these episodes, I would hear sometimes the words treatment or the words medication, um, Mm -hmm. which I associated with therapy and, and, you know, mental health in general. But that was the first time that I heard it. And I heard it in a really stigmatizing way because Mm -hmm. to me, I don't know if in the nineties, the Dominican Republic, um, I don't know if they particularly knew what to do with patients like, that family member of mine Mm -hmm. Um, because I know he was getting the help, but I know that it wasn't working Yeah, because he was constantly having um, psychotic episodes when I was growing Mm -hmm. up. And so that was really what I thought therapy was as a child. I didn't know until my teen years, when we moved to that small town in in Florida from Miami, uh, my relationship with my parents just really suffered because I felt uprooted for the second time Mm -hmm. in like four years, formative years to me, especially as a gay man, as someone who knew I was gay already, I was like, well, shit, like I finally felt safe enough to come out to to these friends after years. Mm -hmm. And now you're uprooting me again. And now it's even worse because I really don't feel any safe energy in this town. Yeah. Um, And so our relationship suffered a lot and my mom put me in therapy. Interestingly enough, it wasn't family therapy. She was like, you go to therapy because you have a problem. <laughs> um, and I'm like, just go get being like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember being like, okay, I guess like this could only help. Um, and that was the first time that I saw a therapist. And mm-hmm. a lot of the sessions were focused around like, my relationship with my father, which quickly let me know. It was like, oh, they put me in here because they know I'm a faggot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> they fully, I think they thought like, oh, maybe this is a phase. And like, if he talks to a therapist, this will mm-hmm. go away. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is the long answer of my, my relationship to therapy. The, the beginning of it, at least. 
Yeah. And was it like just so jarring to kind of think of yourself in therapy after having only really seen that example, that family member who had a little bit more like severe mental illness. And I don't know, I, I'm wondering if like anything came up for you when it was like, oh, they want me to go to therapy. And the only person I really know who's like had treatment, like mental health treatment uh-huh. is this family member um, who had uh, schizophrenia or like multiple diagnoses. Yeah. Um... Interestingly enough, I never thought of him during that. Mm-hmm. Um, there was so much focus when we moved to America on like leaving that life behind in DR mm-hmm. um, and becoming Americanized, quote unquote, and you know, learn English. And like they wouldn't even let me speak Spanish at home. They were just like, no, you need to adapt and you know become this person and so i think as a child it was just like yeah forget all of that shit um Mm -hmm. so even when i went to therapy i I really did not think about him um it wasn't until again until like now my adult years and having worked in social work and like sort of putting all the concepts together and being like oh my god all of that was kind of connected and and maybe it should have been when i was a child uh but yeah not at all actually okay yeah and i i can only imagine what that did to shape your identity, at least those um, kind of the, those formative years of moving to the U S and being really told, like leave every aspect of like who you are behind because now you're an American. Mm -hmm. Now you need to assimilate. Um, I imagine Mm -hmm. that was probably like difficult too, like growing up and coming to terms with like your identity as both like Afro Latino and a gay man, uh, et cetera. Right. It, um, it's actually really interesting because the beginning of that, so when I was 10, um, it just sort of survival mode kicks in and you are just mm-hmm. all of these things that you're being told to do mm-hmm. and not directly, right? Like my parents were never like, forget you're Dominican. Um, <laughs> but in the way that I had to adapt to American life, uh, mm-hmm. especially when I was 14 and we moved to Central Florida, it just, there was no room for both, for me at least. Maybe someone else would have been able to juggle both, but there wasn't because sur- survival was assimilating. And yeah. um, to get the things that I needed to survive, so social contact and, mm-hmm. and you know, validation and it, all those things that teenagers need, mm-hmm. which I wasn't even getting really now that I think of it, um, I had to assimilate and I had to... Yeah. Um, yeah, forget my identity, like you said. So it does kind of take a long time after you realize that's happening to heal from it. And mm-hmm. um, that is in large part why I started therapy, actually. Yeah, and that takes us right into my next question. What what made you first seek out therapy? And not really considering when your parents like sent you to therapy, but just yeah. when you decided <laughs> that you wanted to seek it out on your own. Um. So I, when I moved to New York, I moved to New York to pursue photography. I've always loved visual arts. And mm-hmm. um, I had the very cliche perception that I'd show up here and live my Whitneyport, the city life. <laughs> um, and so I got here. I moved in with a friend. He worked in public health. And none of the jobs that I was applying for were taken mm-hmm. seriously. So... I was just like, girl, I'll do front desk work there or whatever. Mm -hmm. And 
I worked there for three months, which led to another job in public health, mm-hmm. which led to a job in social work. And from there on, I just was so close to that industry um, mm-hmm. and working with so many patients. My last job was more case management than social work, but um, was super social work heavy. And I worked with the mental health department at the clinic that I worked at. And so, you know, a lot of the work felt therapeutic and Mm -hmm. for the patient, not for me. And I was just like, wait, why don't I have a therapist? (laughs) Um, Just as someone who works in this field, like I also need to talk about some of the things I, you know, do at work. And then it, it, also connected to that first time when I was a teenager. I was like, I'm curious to know what real, like what, not real therapy, but what um, good or productive therapy feels like because mm-hmm. those four months I was with that other therapist felt like a waste of my time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was the curiosity. And then, um, once I was there and she also asked me, the therapist was like, well, why are you here? Mm-hmm. And then I just was like, wait, there's all these other reasons. And now that I'm here, um, there's just all of this self-improvement that I believe I need to work on. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I, I really love that, like, that therapist asked you that because I feel like there's so many um like moments in our lives where we go through periods of time where that is an ass like how would you like to heal what would you like to work on um what's something that's been like really eating away at you that you've maybe just been pushing down all along and i I think that's why therapy can be so powerful and like emphasis on like can be because it's not Uh always the case um we've all had like bad experiences but like i I think that just speaks to how it's like so needed uh to have a space that is completely ours for whatever amount of time it is 50 minutes to an hour where we're asked these questions where we're like oh wait like I've been asking this maybe of other people my whole life, but no one's ever asked me. And like, actually, let me do some reflection and realizing that there's so much there um, that can be looked at, that can be healed, that can be explored. Well, actually, even the question um, sort of stops you in your traps sometimes. That I, you know, the way I explain it is obviously quicker than it actually happened. When she asked Mm -hmm. me the question, I just kind of stood there like, sort of flashing by trauma of my life Mm -hmm. being like what actually affected me is that why i'm here is that why i'm here um Mm -hmm. and there's actually no one or two sentence answer yeah actually um you just have to want to work on yourself um Mm -hmm. which i believe after having identified that i had an identity crisis and then that identity crisis uh was the root of a lot of trauma and traumatic events in my life Mm -hmm. Uh, whether they be like with family or friends or my love life or sex life, all of that um, is why I was there. But, but answering the question is actually more difficult than that. And I believe Mm -hmm. the, the answer to it is, you know, the seven, eight, nine sessions at the beginning. And there you're like, Mm -hmm. I almost wish I had like, on that 10 session been like, do you have your answer to that question now? (laughs) Because that's when you, you know, when you know yourself and when the therapist knows also. 
Mm-hmm. And like you, you mentioned how like that question was asked in something that we do so easily. Like you were looking through your traumas. So not talking about every single one, not like right. saying that like, oh, this traumatic event or this trauma right. is like relevant, but you're like, mm, you know, that wasn't like difficult enough for me because we have so uh-huh. much resilience as people uh-huh. of color. And yeah. I'm sure even more as someone who, you know, moved here, not knowing English and had to adapt. And I'm sure your resiliency was even stronger in those moments, but like, it is so funny how how we like look at our traumas and we're like, oh, you know, but that wasn't that serious. Let me just move on to the other one. Uh, when all of those things, we need to yeah. like, open up about our trauma. We need to talk about our trauma. Yeah. Even the things that, you know, we try to pass off as like not big enough to talk about or not yeah. big enough to have, you know, to think that it affects us too. Well, I've learned to detect that the ones that I shrug off, mm-hmm. not all the time, but sometimes are the ones I actually need to talk about because that shrugging off mm-hmm. and that sort of minimizing of it is actually a coping mechanism. Yeah. Um, I should look at that and be like, wait, did that actually affect me? Um, mm-hmm. So it's important. I, that's something I learned in therapy, which is something really important I use now. Yeah. And how did you find your therapist? Um, I think ZocDoc. Um, no, psychologytoday.com. Um, they have like a tool, like mm-hmm. you check off the boxes, of course, your insurance, location, their demographic, of course, mm-hmm. I put that I wanted an Afro-Latino person, mm-hmm. uh, but it did not, <laughs> obviously, those are not, they're few and far between, mm-hmm. and they're probably booked because all of us want, a, you know, I wanted a cis female mm-hmm black person in general um so i ended up with a 70 something year old white lady <laughs> <laughs> completely different from what i expected based yeah. on your search criteria <laughs> not at all but you know i just you know i thought of the way that like my patients are are given to me and if i am ever what mm-hmm. they're looking for and how they adapt to the care i provide for them so mm-hmm. I sort of let my guard down. And uh, one of the first things I said to her, because we were talking about race and my identity and mm-hmm. and the back and forth of, you know, how this country views Latinx people and Black people. And she was like, well, do you feel that I don't understand that sometimes? And I was like, now that you ask, <laughs> um, I don't know if you'll ever really, mm-hmm. you know, understand it but that's not why i'm here um you have the tools to help me work through this without having gone through it and that's kind of the point of this Um, yeah and in that moment i realized it actually doesn't matter as long as it's a good therapist Mm -hmm. and yeah i think that's you bring up like such a good point with therapy like i feel like a lot of times like the therapist that we want is not the therapist that we need Mm -hmm. um and I, I, not to discount the fact that people want like a therapist that's a person of color or someone who's black or brown. Um, those can be important things that really do aid in like the connection developing uh, right. and being able to like establish that rapport. So it doesn't minimize that, but that means like sometimes when you think about a therapist style, 
um, the ones that we want um, aren't really the ones who can do the most work with us, aren't, maybe aren't the ones who are going to challenge us um, right. as much as we want. And I think I've had similar experiences too, where I thought that I wanted a therapist and I've gone and had to like deal with the uncomfortable feelings of being like, okay, I think I'm going to stop seeing you. I think I'm going, I'm going to break up with you <laughs> because like we've done work here, like not to right. discount or minimize that, right. but like, I feel like we've probably journeyed as far as we can in terms of like me being challenged, me feeling a hundred percent safe with you. Right. Um, and like sometimes, uh, you know, other therapists are just like the foundation of your your mental health journey. Maybe they're mm-hmm. the ones who got you comfortable with just the experience and the idea. And now mm-hmm. you're ready to graduate to another therapist too. Right. Totally. Totally. Although I do, I don't know if this is like my, um, again, a coping mechanism, which mm-hmm. which gives me confidence. But I'm always like, well, I'm paying this person mm-hmm. to make me feel safe in this room. And so if I ever don't, it's my job to be like, hi, this thing you said made me feel unsafe. Can we talk yes. about it? Yes. Um, so there are people, you know, I've had friends who are like, well, my therapist pissed me off today. And I was like, well, did you tell them that this happened? Mm-hmm. Um, they're also human. And they also have their own trauma and their own, like, you know, communication barriers. And like, it, so you have to also work with them in this way of like, um, you are there. You are spending your time. You are um, digging through your trauma, which is also very difficult to do. You're doing work. Why not make it worthwhile by having good communication with them? So um, I say that to say that even the therapist that you quote unquote settled for, make them Mm -hmm. the therapist you wanted. Yeah. (laughs) You have the power as a patient or as, you know, a person in therapy. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I've really learned throughout my therapy journey, um, not as a therapist, but as a client, it's that I have to teach people how to care for me. Um, it can't, if I leave it to people to assume they're going to get it wrong. And if I don't correct them, or if I don't say, hey, actually, this is what I prefer. Or, hey, this is what I need. Then I'm not actively participating in like my progress. I'm just hoping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just left there hoping that maybe one day they'll get it right without offering feedback or guidance to how to care for me too. And honestly, everywhere, um, mm-hmm. just with any interpersonal relationship, you are that person. No one is actually hurting you on purpose. I mean, I would hope not. Although I suppose that happens. Uh, you have to hold people accountable and you have to be like, that thing you did, this is how I received it. Is that how you meant to mm-hmm. deliver it? <laughs> um, yeah. And so the therapy has actually taught me um, inadvertently, that wasn't why I went there, but um, mm-hmm. how to better communicate to people when they are, you know, hurting me or, or saying things that make me feel uncomfortable or, or when it feels like I'm on a different page because um, I'll be saying something and then my therapist will give it back to me in this way. And I'm like, is that how you heard that? That's not at all <laughs> what I was saying. Mm-hmm. And I only feel confident in that space because again, I feel, um, uh, you know, I'm paying for it. I am the, mm-hmm. the one there who is, you know, in control of that dynamic. And so that taught me that in, in spaces where I'm not, Mm -hmm. that I still kind of am. 
right? Like between two yeah. friends with a family mm-hmm. member, I can still be that person. So, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that kind of leads us to, I was going to ask like some of the challenges of therapy, but that sounds like a big one. Um, mm-hmm. Getting to the point to where you you recognize that I am paying for this. So I should actively, you know, have a little control or a lot of control depending on like what you need um, in terms of what my treatment looks like, what my care looks like. Um, are there any other challenges of therapy that, that really came up for you? Um, any other times that you've been in therapy? Uh, yeah, I am chronically 10 to 15 minutes late to everything. <laughs> so that was, um, it seems like a silly challenge, but my therapist was mm-hmm. very upset with me at one point. It was like, you're cutting into your own time though. Like mm. this doesn't hurt me. Um, which made me realize like, am I late to this p- particular thing? Because I'm not like ready that day to... Mm-hmm get my hands dirty, so to speak, am I, you know, I just started that sort of self-reflective questionnaire in my head. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did, yeah, I came to the conclusion that like there were days where I knew I would have to face some things that I didn't want to that day or that I didn't want to at all. And so I would do things like be 15 minutes late because I would cut the 45 minute session short. Mm -hmm. Um, And she had to, you know, we had to work on that together. Yeah. And that was actually... I would say that was pretty difficult. And also just her holding me accountable mm-hmm. for that thing that I felt entitled to. I was like, well, it's my time, so I can do it <laughs> with it. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I could, that's pretty much the only challenging thing, um, aside from, you know, the regular work that you do in therapy, which is pretty challenging. But yeah, yeah it's the only thing I can think of. Okay. And what have some of the like positive outcomes been from um, going to therapy that you can completely attribute to work you've done in therapy? Um, it's all self-reflective. Um, and again, mm-hmm. detecting when I, first of all, when I need to be self-reflective, um, mm-hmm. what trauma mon- manifests itself um, in my relationships with my friends Mm-hmm. family and how do I detect when that manifestation is happening and like you know just being like okay well that's stop that don't do that mm-hmm. um, or or do it but know that that's what that's about that trauma is coming back up for you and mm-hmm. um, that's been really good I've been in therapy for two and a half years with the same therapist now mm-hmm. and I've even had friends tell me straight up like oh my god you used to do this thing that you don't do anymore and I'm so proud of you and Mm-hmm. You know, that feels good too, which helps with, because self-reflection can feel, um, it can feel demonizing. Like it can feel like mm-hmm. a, a chore. So just having my therapist tell me that I'm doing good work sometimes isn't enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so hearing that those, that that work is resulting in like better relationships with my friends mm-hmm. feels really good. And that's something that I can only thank therapy for. So, yeah. Yeah. And also I, I just love the idea of like, yes, like being self-awareness, being self-reflective, like 
it's a lot of work. Like it is a lot of work to be aware of our traumas that are just lying beneath, you know, the surface of the times that we've been triggered of the times that we're feeling triggered. Like it is so much mental energy to carry around that like awareness all day and to have to like learn how to be reflective of behavior and how to look at behavior to see like how we can better care for it and tend to it. I Um, never want to be self-aware all day, by the way. Like that is not the goal. I -hmm. will say this, like (laughs) imagine what that would look like. I would lose, I would actually have more reasons to go to therapy if I was actually (laughs) self-aware. There is a limit. And Mm -hmm. I also just, um, I always joke around that I would like to have better self-awareness, but also juggle the lack of self-awareness of a cis white male. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Because they seem the happiest. Those people seem so happy and, and, you know, just content with themselves, self-realized. So to me, there has to be a middle ground of like, Mm -hmm. you know, self-awareness and self-reflection, but also being okay with certain things because otherwise what would happen to us yeah yeah and recognizing that you're human that you can't always 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 be on it you can't always 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 be looking at every interaction and every behavior as like Mm -hmm. oh what does this mean for my mental journey as a whole like that that that. would get exhausting um and even me as a therapist i do not hold myself to that shit because i'm not trying to be out here burnt out and feeling bad about myself or feeling like i have so much work that's ahead of me too right it's also not about perfection um it's about what you know what what can you how can you minimize um the ways in which like you're hurting yourself or or Mm -hmm. the people around you um Mm -hmm. And yeah, sort of risk reduction almost, but uh, yeah. Yeah. And what would you say, um, and this is kind of a a part where I say this is kind of the PSA to therapists who might be listening, or even people who have therapists or looking for therapists and don't know what to um, assume of them or what to uh, really understand that they can ask of their therapist. So I like to call this the therapist do's and don'ts. what should therapists do? So what does a therapist do? Uh, hmm. I would say this goes without saying, but like listening to your patient in a way mm-hmm. that isn't uh, sort of like really ready to psychoanalyze this one thing, mm-hmm. because there are times where I have to tell my therapist again, I have to be like, is that how you receive that? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, Again, I'm working on my self-awareness, so maybe I said it without knowing that's how I was saying it. So it's important for my therapist to to be able to throw it back at me, too. I'm Mm -hmm. definitely not saying they shouldn't do that. But there are times where I'm so sure something should not have been received a certain way by my therapist. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. "Um, can I just, like, reroute you (laughs) this way? Um, And it is up to her at that point to decide if this needs to be revisited, if I was just being avoidant, right? Um, But you have to feel safe enough to do that with your therapist. Yeah. The therapist has to create that sort of dynamic. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important because again, we're two humans and we're just trying to do our best in that session and in life. And so, yeah, 
that's one of the things that I feel has been the most useful in my relationship with my therapist. Okay. And what would you say your therapist don't? So what should therapists not do or try not to do? You know, realizing their humanity and the mistakes that can be made. But yeah, what are some things that therapists should really make sure that they're being attentive to and not doing in therapy? Um, don't try to be my friend. Like <laughs> um, I have a friend who talks about their therapist in this way that I'm like, I think he wants to go to brunch with you. Like, <laughs> I don't know if this is the right relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone who knows this about this friend says the same thing. And it's like, um, your therapist is too close to you. Like, just mm-hmm. be telling him about like his own life um, in a way that isn't productive. Yeah. Because I, I also get moments where my therapist is like, yeah, that once happened to me when I was young. And, and this is mm-hmm. what I realized about that. And, and that, can sort of be the example of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but this certain thing, that I, this certain relationship I've heard about, it doesn't feel that way. It feels like that therapist is just trying to sort of um, humanize themselves to my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm always like, oh my God, if my therapist did that, I would run in the other direction. I don't want yeah. friends with my care providers. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, that's so important in terms of boundaries. Um, Self-disclosure can be a very powerful tool. Um, The use of self in therapy can be a very powerful tool. And I do think that therapists should strive to, you know, show up as human. But again, like, I say all that to say that there should be boundaries there. And I mean, that's one thing that I hold myself to as a therapist, too. It's like, okay, why are you giving this information uh, like what is the purpose like questioning whether or not it was appropriate to give in that moment or if maybe I was you know as a therapist just looking for a way to connect um, and sometimes I mean that could be indicative of you know a need within the relationship but still like self-disclosure should be not seem like I'm trying to be your bestie and like, mm-hmm. oh, text me after you leave here, girl. Like, let me know what right, you're doing right, right. this weekend. Um, no, you should not. <laughs> I and don't also, believe like, you should it, feel that way. It does show up in like subtle ways sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like my mm-hmm. therapist did it once. I was talking to her. We, again, we talk about race a lot. Um, I feel like my mm-hmm. identity is a big part of why I go to therapy. Um and I had explained to her that it felt like becoming Americanized mm-hmm. didn't mean just becoming Americanized. It meant becoming whiter. Mm-hmm. That's how I received it. I don't know that my parents and the people around me were particularly saying that to me, but that's how I received it. And that's what I did um, those formative years in high school and college. And so she knows that that is what a lot that is the root and the angle that where I come from um, mm-hmm. when I'm talking to her. So she'll throw in random things like, oh, I was um, in charge of a church drive recently and I had to tell all of the white people that we were doing this with that we needed more people of color here. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being like, why did you tell me that? Yep. <laughs> I don't want you to like, you know, tell me that you're a good white person in this moment. Uh-huh. Your contribution to black liberation does not matter to me right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, while I'm like opening myself bare for you. <laughs> uh-huh. And it felt like a moment of her trying to 
not be friends with me particularly, but it was like, uh, look at me, like me too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a likable white person. Uh, so that is one of the barriers of that, yeah. right? Like, yeah. And so she, I have to catch her doing that. And she's told me, she's been open. She's been like, when I'm doing that, if you feel comfortable, do you want to call me out? And I was like, I will absolutely call you out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and help you out because <laughs> you should not be te- like telling people, waving your goodness in the air mm-hmm. uh, if you really are good. Yeah, absolutely. And th- that feels uncomfortable. And I think that's probably one of the things that's come up the most um, for like my white colleagues when I am talking to them, when we talk about their work, uh, which is why I was like thankful that I've been in a lot of those classrooms where I can be like, I can like offer that challenge of like, mm-hmm. what was the reason for the self-disclosure? Yes. Like, was that for the client or was that for you? Were yeah. you trying to like seem like you're a well-meaning white person? Yeah. Okay, like let's just let's explore that a little bit. <laughs> like let's look at that because that that wasn't meant for the client. Like that was you uh, maybe feeling a little that insecure so or something. <laughs> Absolutely. And I as someone who worked in the field when I had um I don't know if I had a trans patient, I was always because it had happened to me, not just with my therapist, but with a lot of the white people that I encounter out in the wild, um, I was always like, please do not virtue signal like that to these trans Mm -hmm. people. Like, they do not want you to. They just come here for the service. Mm -hmm. And to be given the thing that they showed up here for, do not also tell them that you, you know? And so um, it sucks that the person like the the oppressed person is the one that has to say that to the person with the privilege uh-huh. in that uh-huh. thing. So, but yeah, you have to, I guess. And why do you, why do you recommend therapy for people like us, for people like you and I, for people like your family, your friends? Yeah. Why, why do you think it's so important? Um, I feel like everyone has something to heal from. Uh-huh. Um, it's just undeniable, whether it's like a, really debilitating trauma or just something small, um, we all have work to do. So mm-hmm. recommend feels maybe, I don't know that I would ever recommend therapy. Mm-hmm. I joke with friends. I'm like, ooh, that girl needs therapy. Like, <laughs> but I, I'm always clear that like, you have to be ready. You have to want it yourself. And you have to, yeah. when you get there, you have to be ready to be truthful um, and get your hands dirty and be uncomfortable and get into arguments with your therapist and, you know, hold them accountable, hold yourself accountable. Mm -hmm. So, um, recommend, I don't know that I would recommend it, but I would tell people that it would, it always serves you, whether it's Mm -hmm. realizing that you weren't ready for it. So you stop until you are, um, Mm -hmm. Or whether you're ready for it and you actually do the work. But I do, yeah, I have some friends where I've, I've learned not to recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> where I'm like, you should do this. It's like, I feel like it would be good for you. And then I realize like, oh, they're just, if they go, they're going to waste their money, their time, this person's time, because they're just going to lie the whole time. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're not ready. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Just yeah. I, I think I really agree with that too. I, I think that therapy can be beneficial to most people, but maybe it's not that thing for everyone, or at least it's not um, for everyone at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it requires a, a willingness to like feel uncomfortable. Like you are signing up to feel uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, that doesn't feel good all the time. Um, a lot of times it doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, and therapy isn't this thing where you always leave just feeling like, you know, all, all high off of being able to be seen and heard and talk about experiences. Um, it's a lot of work. Um, yeah. So like, yeah, I say all that to, to agree with like, for some people now isn't the time. Um, but one thing that I would say that we, we all are deserving of is exploring our mental health um, of like aiding our mental health in healthy ways and unlearning a lot of the ways that we've learned to cope um, and neglect our mental health just as being like marginalized people um, right. just from like uh, having multiple marginalized identities and learning that, you know, it's just life and that's just how the cookie crumbles and that's just how things are. Um, no, we're all deserving of being able to say this sucks and I'm seeking change in whatever way that I can, you know, grasp it right now too. Right. And it takes so long to get there. Um, mm-hmm. I think because people view therapy as uh, I don't need it right. I don't need it at all. Not, I don't need it right now. It's not a thing about time. Mm-hmm. Right, and it should be. Um, we should look at it as like I needed it during those years. I stopped needing it, but that doesn't mean I, I won't end up needing it again. Um, so I'm in therapy right now for two and a half years. If I feel like I have done enough work, and I stop seeing this therapist, that doesn't mean that when I'm 45, mm-hmm. I will not need therapy again. You know, yeah. um, mm-hmm. if we look at it as care, healthcare it's the same. Like uh-huh. this ankle wasn't twisted now. So I didn't need to go to that physical therapist, but like yeah. it'll be twisted again. I don't know. Uh-huh. So um, we don't look at that, especially I think our cultures, um, you know, people of color don't look at help as a, you know, not productive thing, but like as a thing that is available to us. And it often is not actually. Yeah. That's yeah. where that comes from. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like a really complex subject because yes, you have to be ready. Yes, you have to understand that it's about timing, but then where are the resources once you do get there? Mm -hmm. I was lucky to be insured working at this clinic and have really good insurance that allowed me to pick whoever I wanted. Mm -hmm. But that's often, more often than not, you know, not the case. Yeah, and like even if people, as you said, like get to the point of like, okay, I'm ready. Um, are you ready to combat like the gatekeepers of this tool of this resource? Um, because sadly, there are way too many gatekeepers um, keeping it away from people who need it, who have decided like, yes, I am deserving of like combating all of these negative things that have been like pulling down my mental health. Um, but it's not always accessible. Um, and yeah, that's so important to note too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, before we get out of here, I would love to hear what is your self-care plug? Um, that thing that helps you 
restore any lost energy, that thing that helps you when you've been having just a rough ass week and <laughs> you need like some way to recharge. So what would you say your self-care plug is? Um, so last year I discovered acupuncture mm-hmm. and um, it changed my life fully. For 30 yeah. minutes, there's a needle in weird points of my body mm-hmm. um, and I'm asleep for half of it. And then they like take them out and I can feel tension leaving my body. Um, really? Oh, it is magical. I never, I always knew people did it, but I was always mm-hmm. like, it's like a sham. Like, what are they, how does that even work? But, you know, I read up on it and some coworkers at the time were raving about it. And I was like, well, mm-hmm. again, we have great insurance. It's covered. Let me go see. Yeah. And for the most part, yeah, if I've had a stressful week, I schedule an acupuncture appointment. Mm-hmm. But something, I guess, less you know, um, more conventional. I really mm-hmm. just love like rewatching uh, mindless television. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think like there are people who are like, you've watched that Real Housewives episode 10 times. <laughs> yeah, because I know what's going to happen and I laugh every time. And for mm-hmm. that moment, whatever I don't want to deal with in that moment that I know I'll have to deal with later, mm-hmm. that doesn't matter. Um, and it sounds so simple and simplistic, but truly, a Sex in the City episode always does the trick. Some Golden Girls. Mm-hmm. Just, I love storytelling. And so even if it's something, a story I already know, um, that is really, it's satisfying to me and distracts me when I need it. Yeah, I love that too. Yeah, I mundane television, especially knowing what's going to happen, but also knowing that you don't have to pay full attention to it. Um, That's just my jam. Like that is just where I feel like this is true relaxation where I don't have to have all of my attention on this thing. Like I can scroll Twitter if I want. I can be on my phone and like responding to texts if I want, but also still enjoying and waiting for the moment of this or moments of this show that just like bring me so much joy too. And we're so lucky that we have this, like, overload of content mm-hmm. uh, to make uh, so much of our self-care. Like, I was just watching season three of Real Housewives of Atlanta the other day <laughs> that I have seen throughout the years, right? It's, it was, like, mm-hmm. 10 years ago. I've seen it throughout the years over and over, but it hadn't been my go-to self-care thing for, mm-hmm. like, a year. And so I'll watch it and catch these new things and sort of, like, really submerge myself in it again mm-hmm. and just be crying laughing on my couch because everyone is ridiculous <laughs> on that show. And so um, I say that to say that like in the seventies, they did not have this. Their oh. self-care really <laughs> took more work. So mm-hmm. we're very lucky. <laughs> Absolutely. And I too um, have been going through Real Housewives of Atlanta. <laughs> uh, I know it's a sidebar, but I realized I'd never seen it from beginning to end. And it is kind of a chore, but oh my gosh, the gems that you find in there, <laughs> the lies. The whole thing, honestly. I know there were like the fourth franchise or something, but not uh-huh. yeah. always black people they brought it they brought brought their a game they were ready they showed the world how this show needed to be done and they still set the tone it's so funny because while we also feel um i think that we have to be quote-unquote better or perfect Mm -hmm. that sometimes results in like 
letting our guard down in a way that really works out for us uh-huh. as people of color. And I would like to write a paper on how the Real Houses of Atlanta are the embodiment embodiment of that. <laughs> I I will gladly await that. Um, and yes, we need it. <laughs> we need that as a resource out there. <laughs> well, before I let you go, I always like to leave space for if you want to plug socials, if you want to plug any organizations uh, dear to you. Uh, yeah, if you want to just tell listeners something to check out, uh, I'll leave this space to you. Um, so I don't have anything that I personally would like to plug yet. I am working on some stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. the pandemic has been, um, not to say the word self-reflection again, but very Mm self-reflective for me. And, um, so I kind of decided, I had decided before the pandemic that this year I would actually, uh, switch careers. Mm -hmm. focus on the thing that I moved to New York City for, which was my photography. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is still in the works because we are still living off of one stimulus check. So, <laughs> um, <Yes. laughs> I can't plug that, but there is um, this grassroots organization uh, for the girls, W G W O R L S girls. Um, they, started uh, by doing rent parties where they would charge a cover to enter this house party and the funds would go towards a black trans person's rent. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now they do travel funds for trans people. Mm -hmm. They also do funds, fundraisers for um, surgery. Any, you know, it always goes to a trans person here in Mm -hmm. New York City. Um, I believe only here in New York City, but I'm sure, you know, they're they're growing and it's a really, really great um, organization. I have been to the parties only, but uh, let me see. I forget the exact Insta and I don't want to give the wrong one. Let's yeah. Uh, yeah, the Insta is for the girls. So F-O-R-T-H-E. G-W-O-R-L-S. Um, I suggest following them because they're constantly raising funds for different, you know, movements in the trans community, um, different individuals that need help. So yeah, I, that would be my plug. I try to contribute as often as I can. I love that. I've actually never heard of that account too. So I'm going to go ahead and follow it. And I'll be sure to also, for the listeners, include that in the episode description. That way we can show that organization um, some of our love and support because we got to support our own. Um, Well, I appreciate you so much for being vulnerable, for being flexible, for just overall choosing to spend an hour with me to gab about mental health. Um, It's like the best of all the worlds. And so uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show and I wish you well. And everybody stay tuned. Uh, I'll go ahead and let y'all know where to follow us on our socials. Thank you. Bye. This concludes another session of Black People Go to Therapy 2. 
I appreciate every single one of y'all who support us and continue to break the stigmas surrounding our mental health journeys and the care that we deserve. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at Black People Therapy, Facebook at Black People Go to Therapy Too, and Twitter at Black PPL Therapy. And are you a person of color with experiences in therapy and a willingness to talk about your mental health journey on the podcast? Great. Check out the episode description for our guest survey, or you can email us at blackpeopletherapy at gmail.com to learn more. Thanks and be well, y'all.